Today is a different day. And um, um, in that, at great risk, Rabbi David has allowed me to give my testimony to you, um, kind of unseen and unheard. So I thank Rabbi David for this. I'd like to take a moment here to also thank each and every member of the congregation that has kept my wife and myself in your prayers over the recent loss of my father. We thank you so much for that. Words will never express what that means to us. And number three, um, next week you'll be voting to continue me on as elder here at Tikvot. Now, two years ago, Dietrich Pimington um, put out a Tikvot newsletter that said something to the effect, who is Lloyd Brown? She did a beautiful article and I'm really very appreciative of that. But that was only one aspect of me um, and not really describing my personal growth and what that means. So in order to do that, I brought something special with me today. <laughs> Does it clash? <laughs> My wife has wanted me to carry pink for so long she could hardly stand it. <laughs> no applause, please. <laughs> but in here, I have some Bibles that describe different parts of my life. And I'm going to tell my story through three Bibles and what they mean to me. When I see this Bible here, inscribed in the front pages, says, awarded to Lloyd Brown from the primary department at Weatherford Memorial Baptist Church, September 22nd, 1964. I remember getting this Bible as a child, eight years old, and a Sunday school teacher that passed it on to me eyes full of love with the hopes that I would grab this Bible and read it. That this, the words that were contained in this book would minister to me. Now my mom and dad were really pretty persistent. There were three boys and I was the middle one. She was persistent in making sure that her boys got to church each and every Sunday. And later on, it became Sunday school, church, and Sunday night services. This Bible was with me. This was important because my mom says, we do not leave the home on Sunday morning without your Bibles in your hand. So every Sunday, this Bible was searched for and brought to church. 
It doesn't mean that we read it during the week. It doesn't mean that we studied it during the week. But on Sunday, it went to church with me. And so it did. But this Bible, on a July night, 1969, witnessed a young teenager, 13 years old, going forward to profess his faith. I'll never forget that night. Because that night, it was the night that the Lord really stirred me. He was calling. And I didn't know what to do. But go forward and say, yes, I accept the call. I accept the call. Shortly thereafter, my older brother and my younger brother came forward, and they too accepted Yeshua's Messiah. We were all baptized together in that little Baptist church. This Bible also went with me a few years later when I went off and joined the service. No matter where I went, there was something about this Bible that says it was not only a part of home, it was a part of church. It was a part of family. It was a part of life. And it needed to go with me. This was mine. And so I took it with me wherever I went. So my seven years that I was in the service, this Bible went with me, was present with me everywhere I went. And though I tried many, many times to read this Bible, be honest with you, I don't think I made it through an entire book all those many years I carried this Bible. See, this is original King James Version of the Bible. This is the King James Version. And it was hard for me to read and understand it, though I tried to press into it and read it. For some reason, I just couldn't make it. This Bible made it to the South Pacific little South Pacific island called Guam where I was stationed and in 19, between 1977 and 1979 I worked beside a man called Daniel Shaw he was Jewish a believer but there was something different about Daniel Daniel's face shined he loved the Lord. And we worked in a place that was kind of isolated and to ourselves. And when Daniel would come into the room, he would come in and say, How you doing, buddy? Have you talked to the Lord today? Have you read his word today? Always encouraging, always full of life. Daniel came to me one day. And he was really very excited. He says, Lloyd, oh, buddy, oh, pal. That's the way he spoke. Oh, buddy, oh, pal. He says, man, he says, there's something exciting going on. He says, there's an evangelist that has come to the island. I don't remember this guy's name. He says he's, he's going to be speaking at a mission church all week long on the island in kind of an isolated place on the island, a small mission church. 
He said, will you go with me? I said, man, I don't know. He says, oh, come on, buddy, old pal, you can make it. I finally relented and I went. Dan said, listen, when we go, we got to go early. We got to go real early because, man, this place is packed out. I said, okay, Dan, we'll go early. And I think we were there two hours early. There was nobody in the place. (laughs) Dan took me all the way up front and wanted me to sit right in the middle up front. I said, no, Dan, I can't take that. Can we sit on the second or third row, please? He says, okay. Before I realized that I looked up and the place was packed. I mean, really packed. There were people outside the door, and I don't even have a, any idea of what was on the outside. And like any Baptist church, people stood up, and we started singing hymns and songs, the same old Baptist songs, same old hymns. But then something unusual happened. I don't know whether this was the evangelist or not or whether it was just a pastor that was there. I don't know who this guy was. But he stood up in the midst of everybody singing in the middle of a hymn. He just walked up to the podium and says, Stop singing. The Lord is here. I want everybody to bow their heads and pray what's on your heart right now to the Lord. And I'm going to be honest with you what I thought. I bowed my head and I honestly thought to myself, I don't have anything to pray about. I don't even know what's going on here. What am I going to pray about? And for some unknown reason, a thought went across my mind. And it says, I wonder... The weight, the Lord, the weight of my sin that the Lord bore on the cross for me. What was my weight that he bore? I have no idea why I prayed that. Just like that, I felt about three tons of weight come on my shoulders and immediately forced me to my knees. And just like that, it was released. And the Lord says, I love you. I couldn't help but weep. I think I wept for three days. I said, Lord, you love me that much? It was there in that Baptist church that day. One person on this side of the room stood up. And for the first time in my hearing, I heard somebody speak in tongues. Not like what I've heard in other places. This was different. If I were to say to you that it literally sounded angelic to me, I mean what I say. That's what I heard. 
And on the other side of the room, someone else stood up and interpreted. And it was beautiful. It was so encouraging and beautiful. And that was the service. Everybody after that went home. I was still crying. A short time after that, Daniel Shaw came to work and he had a brand new Bible in his hand. It was the new NIV version of the Bible. And for those who don't recall, when I was coming up, there were not many selections or types of Bible. You either had a Thompson Chain Reference Bible or you had a King James Version of the Bible. And there was a living Bible that was out there, which I did not care for much. But, but, but that was just about it. There was no NIV version. So Dan came to work with a brand new NIV Bible, so excited, opening up and said, read this, look at this, oh, how wonderful is this? And I kept looking at it. I said, Dan, where'd you get this Bible? And he says, I got it in some secluded place on the hour and stuff like that. I said, I don't know where it is. I said, Dan, can I buy that Bible from you? I'll give you the money for it. Let me buy it from you. I've got to have this Bible. Dan kept saying, ah. <laughs> And I kept persisting. And about the time I was giving up, Dan says, he says, here you go, buddy. It's yours. You can have this one. And so now I have a brand new NIV Bible that Dan gave me. This Bible represents my life from 1977 to about 1992. This Bible witnessed me coming home from the service time, seven years. This Bible witnessed my wife and I getting married. You see, when I met my wife, she had a 12-year-old boy. His name was Ralph. And I loved her so much, and I loved him as well. See, when Ralph was about four years old, his dad abandoned the family, just took off. No word, no nothing, just left. He did not stay in touch or anything. He just basically abandoned everything. When I came into Ralph's life, he didn't really know a dad. But I had it in my heart. I said, you know what? Whatever I got, I'm giving it to you. All my knowledge, all my wisdom, all my strength, whatever I have, I'm going to help this young man become a young man. But the irony of it is about the time that Virginia and I got married, Ralph's dad came back in the picture, just out of the blue, almost at the exact same time, which is good in one way, but it's bad in another way. You see, Ralph's dad was an orphan, and he never had a dad. So he didn't know how to treat his children. And so when he came back into his son's life, 
He was just guilt-ridden and wanted to do all that he possibly could to make his son's life like Disneyland. Every weekend was like Disneyland. It was fishing. It was going to carnivals. It was eating anything he wanted, going to any movie he wanted. It was a fairy tale where my wife and I were trying to get him settled down, buckled down, to get him into school, to teach him, to help bring him up. But the more that his father was in his life, the more he was pulling him away from us and literally causing a rebellion against us. I can't tell you the number of nights my wife and I sat down together and we talked and we talked to him and tried to reason with him. It didn't work. And then there came that fateful day. Ralph, now in high school, one day he comes home from high school and he looks at me straight in the face and says, Guess what? I just quit school. I said, You did? Okay. Then I suspect that you'll be packing your bags and leaving. I'm glad you got it all figured out. Congratulations. He says, what? I said, you said you quit school. You got a plan, don't you? You just don't quit without a plan. You must have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you can always go back to school. And I don't really care what kind of grades you get. And as long as you're trying your best, you have my support 100%. But I don't support losers and quitters. So he hurried up and ran over to his mom and says, he says, I don't have any place to go. At least let me go talk to my dad. I said, okay. You got a week. At the end of the week, you're either back in school or you're gone. One or the other. So he called his dad and his dad says, oh, yes, my son, I will take him in. I love my son. I'll take him in. Yes, we will have him. I said, good. So he did. It was during this year time to where Ralph was not, or the beginning of a time to where I had a chance to dig deeper into studies. Now, when Virginia and I got married, we had a problem. See, she's Pentecostal. And I was Baptist. Like mixing vinegar and water. She did not like my church. And I didn't like hers. <laughs> so we had to find a place to go. And we happened to find a Nazarene church that we went to, and it was a great place. Just enough Pentecostal to make my wife happy, just enough Baptist to make me happy. It was a good match. So we started going there. But in that church, just by pure coincidence, there happened to be a retired Baptist minister who'd been ministering to the Navajo Indians 
I believe Nevada, maybe New Mexico, I forget exactly. All his life, he had established a number of churches down in that area. This retired pastor out of his house was teaching spiritual growth classes. You see, though I was baptized and I received a, a, a little bit of a vision, and after my experience with God speaking to me, that was like another step up. But my spiritual growth was still lacking. I didn't understand it. So this reverend, Reverend Kuhlhouse was his name. He's gone and be with the Lord now many years. He sat down in small groups and he helped us study the Bible spiritually. He helped us to examine our lives spiritually. He did it very lovingly. The most loving and most humbled man I've ever known in my life. Because he really loved us. Because he really loved and trusted the Lord. He taught me how to pray. He taught me how to praise the Lord. He taught me how to read the scriptures. He taught me my weapons and spiritual weapons against the enemy. He taught me about the schemes of the devil and how the devil comes against us. He taught me how to discern good and evil. The classes he taught were between 12 and 14 weeks long. But I remained with him even after going through the classes for an entire year. I really loved that guy. He was really a superman to me. And it was during those times when I began that class is when I bought this Bible. This Bible was brand new when I started that class. Now, what's interesting is right after my time with Reverend Coolhouse was over, a year to the day, Ralph's father calls us back. Ralph's father's on the telephone and he's pleading with us, would you please take him back? Please take your son back. I can't handle him anymore. I really can't. He is drinking. He is smoking. He is using drugs. He is listening to this wild music. He's driving me crazy. Take him back. Please take him back. We said, yeah, we'll take him back. Under three conditions. No drugs, no alcohol, and he must have a job. So he came back under those conditions. But the thing of it is, is that we had a young daughter, Wendy, my, my young daughter. She was five or six years old during this time. We were a young family, and we didn't have any money. Money was scarce. But we knew in order for Ralph to have a job, he needed a car. He needed insurance. We didn't have the money for that. I don't know where it came from, but somehow or another, we afforded it. My wife would get on the phone, contact it with um, a framer, house builder framer, get him a job. 
He would go to a job, keep the job for about a month, lose it, wife get back on the phone, find another framer, get him back into the job. He would go off, work for another month, lose his job. Wife would get back on the phone, call another framer, get him back into a job and so forth. So he had his car, he blew the engine up, we replaced the engine, three or four months later he blew that up and we ended up buying another car. I have no idea where the money came from but the money was always there. And then there came a time, it was a rainy afternoon, that Ralph should have been at home because framers don't work on rainy days. And so I'm looking for his car. His car wasn't there. I said, well, maybe he's just at the store. So after a couple of hours, I started getting a little bit concerned, but Ralph was not there. So then I got up and I started looking around the house and I started noticing that some things were missing. And then I noticed that quite a few things were missing. Ralph had taken some stuff with him and left. There was no note. There was no nothing. To be honest with you, I was mad that day. I was mad with God that day. Because, you know, I said, God, I've done all I can do. I have given, I have given, I have given all that I can give. And then the Lord allowed me to hear my words. He says, yes, that's right. You gave all you can give. I asked for forgiveness. We didn't know where Ralph was. We didn't know if he was dead or alive. For three months, we didn't know. But my wife and I prayed each and every day for him. We were not going to give up on Ralph. Because the Lord put on my heart, he says, if you don't love him, who is? If you don't care for him, who will? If you don't intercede for him, who else is going to do it? So each and every day, my wife would get up early in the morning. We would kneel and pray for Ralph. Then there came a Wednesday afternoon, right after church service. We come home with a daughter. Telephone rings, and it's Ralph. You see, now a miracle took place on that night because my wife, when she answered the phone, I know how women are, women and their sons and daughters. You know, they answered the phone, where are you? I'll be there in five minutes. Hang up and go. It's a woman's instinct to do that. They want to rescue. That night, the Lord gave my wife the strength to tell her son We just got back from church. We have a young daughter. We need to give her a bath, put her to bed for school tomorrow. Why don't you come tomorrow? Lloyd has a Bible study. Come tomorrow. Come early. I'll feed you supper. And you can stay for the Bible study. The Bible study that I was having was for young teens out of my house. 
Right after my wife hung up the phone that night, the Holy Spirit quickened in me and said, you must forgive him or you must ask him if he took anything. As soon as he comes into the door, you must ask him if he took anything. And to be insistent on that. The next night when my stepson came in through the door, I said, Ralph, it's great seeing you, but I got a very important question to ask you. I said, Ralph, when you left, did you take anything with you? His response was, "Mm." I said, no, no, no. Be honest with me. Did you or not? He said, yes, I did. And I said, good. You must have had need for it. It's okay. It's yours. Whatever you took, it's yours. He just about fell out the door. He came in, and my wife came around the corner and said, Oh, come on, come on in. I've got your favorite dish. Your favorite dish was spaghetti. I don't know whether this was a 10, 15, or 25-quart barrel of spaghetti, but, but at, at there's what she made. It, it was huge. I never had any spaghetti that night. Ralph sat down and ate all that spaghetti. But Ralph stayed for the Bible study afterwards. After the Bible study, all the young men stood around the table. Virginia and I were standing there all holding hands, all praying. My wife and I prayed last, and we prayed for Ralph. Before I could say amen, Ralph had shot out the door, the front door, and literally, practically knocking the door off his hinges as he was leaving. I'll never forget the look Virginia gave me that night. She just looked at me with a little twinkle in her eye and a little smirk that that just says, we know it's the Lord. We didn't worry about it. A couple hours later, the phone rang. A few seconds later, I heard my wife shout. And then she said, honey, honey, take the phone, take the phone. It was Ralph. Ralph was kind of half laughing and half crying. And he says, you know what? He says, when I came to your house tonight, I was high on drugs. When I left your house tonight, my intention was to go back to the trailer that I was living with three or four other people and to get higher. But as I was in the bathroom reaching for the drugs, the the presence of God filled that bathroom. He says, I heard God speak to me tonight. He says, I've already gotten rid of all my drugs. I've already gotten rid of all my alcohol. 
I've already gotten rid of all that nasty music, that loud and, and ugly music. He says, it's all gone. And he says, I got this Bible in my hand. We gave him a Bible for one Christmas that had his name engraved in the corner. He says, I got this Bible in my hand. He says, and I just can't put it down. I gave my wife back the phone real quick. And about 10.30 or quarter to 11 that night, I went out to the middle of the street in front of my house. And with everything that I had, I praised the Lord. I shouted. I sung. I jumped up and down. I know the neighbors were saying, what kind of fool is out there jumping up and down in the middle of the street? But you know something? I didn't care. I was going to rejoice with the Lord with all that I had. But see, that's not the end of the story. Ralph's transformation was so great and so wonderful. Every one of those kids in that trailer accepted Messiah. Every one of them. Then there came the faithful night in that Nazarene church, in the gymnasium. They had a baptismal pool there to where all these kids were getting baptized. If you were there that night, there would have been a guy sitting in the back of the room, not sitting, standing in the back of the room, pacing back and forth. He would have been the crazy guy in the back, jumping up and down and praising God and yelling and screaming and just can't get enough of praising the Lord for all those who are being baptized in his name. That was me. One evening, a few months after that, walking in the cool of the afternoon, the Lord spoke to me. And very simply said, wasn't it all worth it? Wasn't it all worth it to learn how to trust in the Lord and in the power of his might? Wasn't it worth it? Yes, it was. The Lord has taken me a long way. And he's not finished with me yet. I have one last story. It's going to be five minutes or less. After the Lord touched my heart one final, well, not a final time, but one other time, he really put a hunger in my heart for the Jewish people. And he got me studying very deeply about the Jewish people, the festival days and all this stuff. And I studied it very diligently. I had the opportunity to go to Israel in 1998. Before I went, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and says, I'm going to witness. He says, you will witness to a Jewish man, to a Jewish, um, Orthodox Jewish man on your trip. Well, I went to Israel. I did my trip. We had a great time. But during my whole time there, I did not see an opportunity to witness to an Orthodox Jew. I did not see it. I asked the Lord to forgive me if by chance I missed an obvious opportunity, but I didn't see it. 
I'm leaving, getting ready to leave Tel Aviv. I'm leaving the aircraft terminal and I'm walking across to tor Tarmac on the way to board a 747. And I took a minute and I paused right there and I prayed to God and I said, God, forgive me if I missed the opportunity. I didn't see it. I board the 747 getting ready to get into my seat and there's this lady that's slightly oversized and she's setting this one particular chair and she yells over to me she says sir sir would you change seats with me and I sure I, I don't have any problem my seat was an aisle seat hers was a window seat but the window seat that she had did not work because there was an emergency exit door directly behind it, so the back would not collapse or anything else. It was just stiff. So I said, sure, please take that seat. And as I ushered her to my seat, an Orthodox Jew stood up and said, sir, sir, this is a very good thing that you're doing. I said, no, it's okay, it's, it's all right. He says, but you don't understand. He says, this is a very good thing you do. I said, it's my pleasure. And then once when I sat down, this Orthodox Jewish man and his wife sat down beside me. So instead of having 10 minutes in a hallway, I had 10 hours. <laughs> God is good. God is good. Yeah, come on. I have learned in my time to trust God. God is faithful to his word and his promises. And he never fails. We need to just be cautious about one thing. It's in his time, not ours. Let's pray.